0: So tonight as is uh, uh, custom, it's a commemoration of the life of Umpho Chā in which the, uh, the occasion of his passing away is the marker, mm. in the sense being that uh, although it seems strange you're not commemorating somebody's death exactly uh, uh, but the sense of the uh, freedom from the bodily condition mm-hmm. and the uh, umpo cha relin- say the phrase is relinquishes the aggregates mm-hmm. let's go of the aggregates yeah. Something that, uh, what his life was about, really, and maybe what our lives can be about, uh, and process whereby uh, realizing that that practice is uh, fruitful and uh, deepening in this life. It doesn't mean we have to die before we get any benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Relinquishing the tenacious grasp of form, particularly bodily form, one's own, feeling. We call our own feelings, we call them our own. Mm. Perceptions, meanings, impressions, when things strike me. Responses, reactions, intentions, my drives and directions. And consciousness, uh, that uh, web of sight, sound, and so forth, and thought, that seems to locate me. One of the teachings in the suttas likens these to five assassins who arrive at somebody's house saying they're servants, they come to serve this person, come to offer this person service, so, oh, wonderful, the person takes him in and they serve him for a while, give him pleasure, stability, you know, interesting things, and then they stab him. <laughs> With painful feeling, (laughs) with uh, miserable perceptions, uh, lost, that perception, unloved, that perception, useless, that perception. Mm -hmm. um, These terrible perceptions uh, uh, and madness, Mm -hmm. um, 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 volitions, intentions uh, that won't ever stop. They seem to be so interesting until you try to stop them. And they're just buzzing and buzzing and pushing in this way and that way and this way and that way. You lose all your energy. Lose your centre, lose composure. It's relentless, driving out, dithering, fluttering, nattering, chattering, bumbling. Not always unpleasant, but all the energy is just drawn out. And you're living and being created by it within this uh, matrix of uh, experience that is so ephemeral, always changing, always shifting, and yet the shifting of it still holds. Sight, sound is still very much reacting, responding to that. I think there's nothing else but that. Nothing else but sight, sound, uh, and whatever that brings. Nothing else but thoughts, mental intentions, and whatever that brings. And then these are called, these are uh, on fire with uh, passion and pain and sorrow and excitement. Burn you up. Burn something up. Mm. And so it's this, uh, the asawa, these connections, these irrational, habitual, default connections to these aggregates, when the jitta runs out into it. Mm. And you, those are severed, there isn't that compulsive running out. Mm. And uh, the sutta says then you can use these aggregates. For your welfare, and, they, and then you do make them your servants, mm. and use your body, your thoughts, mm. Mm. and so on. You can tame pleasure to be something that's quiet and satisfying, rather than something exciting, and. Giddying, mm. some due pain, mm. it's no longer something you're running from all the time. Now, these are interesting, I mean seem very far-fetched <laughs> possibilities until you Meet someone like Nampuchao, in the sense of a deep presence, but not um, also accessible. Not kind of distant, but very present. Uh, and uh, certainly available, talkative, engaging and not drawn out, going out to encourage, to warn, to uh, rebuke, to humour, to going out deliberately, not drawn out. This is very, you know, however you put it, it still doesn't really convey the experience. You know, this is a tremendous asset of, a, you know, of realised beings. Is you get it, you get it. If you don't understand it, you get something different, something different happening here, and you can something in your body and your heart feels it. And it's, you know, sort of, it's got a, uh, say a calming, a sobering, a centering effect. And this is pretty amazing really. Yeah, And that you, you get a teaching, right through your almost visceral, you know, through a sort of intuitive teaching, something you steady, you feel a sense of respect. Or held carefully, without even much information, mm. and so this is really in which are. What am I to say? I don't know, but certainly this is something very different from your average presence. Mm. you get the effect of it. And so we, we kind of commemorate and honor that honor that as a, a presentation of something that's available in a human form. and poor child human form is not particularly it's quite kind of dumpy little guy really. You know, kind of, not brilliant intellect, no. It's kind of fairly earthy, humorous, kind of, you know. Uh, and yet, so within that, or in relationship to that, um, you know, this uh, is, this power, this quality, is nothing to do really with that form you know, all that uh, social conditioning, all that, uh, you know, whatever it is to be a, a person brought up in northeast Thailand, this is not what it's about. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so, but also just recognizing that, you know, Part of the, the uh, uh, inspiring thing about Lumpur Cha was in some ways he was very much like a, a very ordinary, practical person. In some ways he was very much just a person of his time, familiar with and taking interest in you know, details of life way human beings worked. He studied human beings. He studied them deeply and carefully. And he studied them not just in what they were saying, what they were doing, what their energies were about. He could pick up their emotional energies. So he had no problem with teaching Westerners, because he could pick that up, what was happening, and relate and respond to that. So this is a, what we're kind of commemorating. If you look at the the timeline, the bio, you have someone born in 1918, very uh, subsistence farmers in Northeast Thailand, pretty tough area, you know, and uh, malaria, common education, minimal subsistence farming. Comes a novice about the age of eight or nine and that's where he learns to read and write. So, you know, that was the way it was in particularly in rural Thailand. You no know, schools you went to, you learnt from the monastery. monastery taught you reading, writing, also how to be a human being. You know, how to behave, how to uh, serve, how to, Help, how to be a socially functional person, you know, respect and effort, and uh, so. he eventually became a bhikkhu. Uh, Spent about seven years in traditional monastery, village monastery, and they thought this is. You know, this, this isn't really one of this isn't going very far. You know, you can get into this. Uh, Uh, village monasteries are often just like, they are village centers. They perform a function in the village. They're not about Nibbana though. And so you want you know, basic learning of the Dhamma, very primary level, you could say, and some sense of really deciding to go forth uh, to live the austere life, in the example, following the example of the Buddha, he did that so for about seven years wandering on his own. It means he'd bump into or make out, make his way to various uh, Ajahn, forest Ajahn's They all weren't always so easy to find because a lot of them were on the move all the time, Ajahn Man particularly. But you might find someone who'd settle down, some very basic uh, situation, Rattan hut, root of a tree, Mosquito net, umbrella to live under. Basically, you know, <laughs> survival food. And a tough, uh, tough situation. You know, having to fend for yourself, make your own robes, patch your own robes with primitive equipment. You know. And for, in a sense of uh, this, uh, the nobility of that, you know, really deciding to do that from a place of nobility. I think this is important to bring this to mind. You know, when you choose, make your choice. Use your aggregate of sankara volition. Aim it high. And then use it for noble purpose. You know, squander it. And. This is an example. More we'll charges, okay? Well, want we'll to see where this one goes? Aim high. And uh, if I die, I die because I'm going to die anyway. That, that kind of uh, way of looking at it, using this aggregate hmm. to aim high. Can I live simply? Live just on what turns up. No you know. mm. test myself. Use uh develop me. Whether he thought like this or just basically got the feeling for it. This is uh was the hallmark of uh, training, developing Burami and so let me say if you Mind is left you're not aware of what those are, Dana, generosity, giving, which the highest generosity is giving Dhamma, giving yourself, giving advice, giving that giving heart, sila, virtue, Mm -hmm. renunciation, Mm -hmm. discernment, Mm -hmm. patience, patiently enduring difficult things energy steady putting forth of energy through the difficult through the tiredness and the you know the strenuous endeavors that uh, were required to survive in that uh, very primitive domain truthfulness not deceiving yourself and not deceiving others, but not believing in your, in your waffle, not believing in your, in your dithering, and uh, not deluding yourself, being honest about your defilements and hindrances, mm-hmm. not making excuses. This is the essence of direct practice. Truthful. Mm. It's me. Resolution. Stay with it. Stay with it. Make a resolve, whatever it is. Make a resolve, use a resolve for something sacred. You stay with it. See it through. Kindness and uh, equanimity. So these are ten parami. Mm, this is a kind of essence of training. And the beauty of it is, it uh, you can live within that. When you live within that frame of reference. You're beginning to find a way to your house, if you like, is secure from these assassins. Letting them in. Know what they're like, the tempting qualities. What do you sneak in? Or you want to sneak away from difficult things or bury ourselves in something being honest about it, and hey come on, a, you know, when your intentions, your intentions are, are not really straight and clear and honest and courageous and you know, you're kind of complaining or you know, dithering, knowing it and seeing that as something you want to respond to. Hmm. So this covers really, uh, you know, the way we live, the way we move around, the way we relate to people, the way we relate to life, events. And of course, you the strength and the clarity uh, and the resolution that they breed and generate then become tremendous assets for meditation. In fact, you know, there's not a the point, I think, of this... Uh, Training a Lumpur Cha's style was not really a, no real break. It's quite it's quite even. You called it even practice. Means you're sitting still, you're moving around, you're going arms round, fixing the kuti, going to a sangra event, same. Same steady, same practice. Things moving fast, but you're steady inside. Things confused, but you're steady inside nothing much happening, you're steady inside. So, you know, you build up this um, reference point. Yeah, steady. so smoothness to it, So, and you're watching out for the places where we, we tend to jump up and down, we get excited, or you get, that one catches you, you get excited, or you get irritated, or you get Agitated. What's going on? What's supposed to do? What's, what's, what time is it? I don't know. Is it this? That? The other? We get agitated, or we get critical. Why is he doing that? I don't see the point of that. Negative, or we get Oh, this is fun. One of those. You know, kind of excited and chit chat. This is the kind of way it goes, isn't it? If you look at it. <laughs> and the idea is, okay, when you're noticing this, if you're honest about it, you notice. It, just wait. A minute, what's happening? What are, you, what are you losing? You know, there's a and you know the compulsiveness of these these outflows. It's not to be judgmental. It's just to be aware and conscientious and take it with a sense of like a hunt, hunter. You see the there that one. There's the busy. There's the flurry. There's the compulsiveness. There's the there's the reactiveness stop steady and uh, using this uh, uh, this stabilizing jitter to so the emotional energies roll off it like water off a duck's back it's not that you have to even run out of the water can be in it, but the is not penetrating. So you can be in unpleasant situations, busy situations, quiet situations, cold, and it's stuff is there, and yet it's also not so, not saturating, because the mind is gathered into its strength through these practices, parami. Yeah. And so the aim of the austere life is to learn it. Uh, by picking up the challenge of being with the difficult, the, the unknown, the mysterious, the frightening. The, all that takes one out of one's comfort zones are one's security places. So you get rattled and, saying, oh, and, and using the body, Often a very simple meditation, a lot of of these forest adjans would just use buddho, breathing buddho. But with that sense of commitment, which means that the mind is trained to go to that steady place and it withdraws. Not from fear, not from aversion, but just its energies don't run out. You know, so, it's not about being averse to experience or frightened of it, it's just there's a separation. Mm. So, you know, the duck can be in the water but it doesn't get wet. Mm. So, you've practicing seven years or so, I think seven or eight years, and then. Um, he might spend some time with Lumpur Ginali, one of his main teachers, Lumpur Dongrat. And a lot, some other times just wandering on his own. Yeah. And teachers wouldn't necessarily teach in terms of information, but teach in terms of presence, teaching in terms of just a few words of advice, uh, or, or a rebuke. Or uh, instruction. Mm, very simple. And you're working on, you know, because to even to get to be with that teacher means you have probably got a lot already of resolution and commitment. So the teacher knows, okay, this one, you don't need to deal with the details of convincing somebody this, that, or the other. <laughs> they have already decided. <laughs> you don't go and live. You don't go and live in some, you know, rattan, Heart in a jungle, from a casual interest in Buddhism. Surely, <laughs> some is deep, definitely deeply committed. So, you don't need to do the just lots of talk. Just you know, slow down or speed up or stay with it. You know, or try it again or, <laughs> you know. or just by their own example. So Lumpur Cha, how was his main education was that? Mm. Mm. And with the teachers who again I imagine he picked up from them what those of us who met him picked up from him. The same sense of somebody in one level, is just ordinary, nondescript looking kind of looking fellow, kind of ragged and not particularly uh, <laughs> eloquent even, and yet steady and serene in difficult circumstances, and never caught off guard, always on the ball, and the ability to stay and persevere mm. wakefully, attentively, in all that. So then after his seven or eight years he seemed to decide to settle, as many of these teachers did and as many of them did settle somewhere near his home village. as a kind of homecoming of gratitude. Hmm? Yeah. So his mother was living in the village his father already passed away, and uh, he was going to this forest, living at the root of a tree in a forest, haunted forest. Uh, and then gradually, other people gathering round. The food was very limited, uh, often just sticky rice and a bit of chili paste. Not much of that either. So very tough situation and is developing these uh, strengths, renunciation, virtue, sharing, Mm. commitment, patient, forbearing, Mm. harmlessness, truthfulness, Mm. energy. Steady, so the mind is steadied and smoothed into something that becomes a comfortable place to live in the middle of discomfort. And then this, then, this is how Pong began. I and mean, That was about 1954, I think. And he was there for the next nearly 30 years. More than 30 years, actually, yeah until 92, 54 to 92, until he passed away. And so around that, this monastery gradually grew. He didn't seek people out. They came and came and came. And the Kutis lived under trees, lived in Kutis. Support grew. People got interested. He would teach a lot. Branch monasteries sprang up. People would say, could you send some monks down to... Near our village, because they found the presence inspiring, steady, good, good example of uh, honesty, simplicity, reliable, totally reliable, uh, non-corrupt, and which is unfortunately not the case of every monk in Thailand, as you could imagine. Old culture things slide. But a good, good one, people know a good one when they see it, and they know the effect, steadiness and calming, the example of resilience, of frugality, truthfulness, mm-hmm. and goodwill. Uh, so Lumpo Chao's time, what was his manifestation of metta, uh, goodwill in a tough love a lot of the time, you know, giving his donor and his uh, uh, concern for people's welfare, to take people on. He didn't need to take people on and train and be patient with and visit them when they were sick and uh, listen to them which he did uh, most, of his, most of the time. When he wasn't talking, he was listening. Maybe talk, give a talk, most, you know, one pra could be two hours or so. But every day, sitting under his kuti, people coming, listening, listening, giving advice. Anybody, villagers, generals, high-ranking civil servants, nuns, monks, crazy people, gangsters. You know, a whole lot, just straight and learning the language of uh, ordinary people, turning the language of ordinary people to dhamma, to a tremendous uh, transformer. In the last ten years of his life, he was um, incapacitated with, with uh, brain damage, but before that occurred, he he, uh, started, well, um, he started, well, to be He's that about not that many branch monasteries established during his lifetime, but uh, I don't know less than less than hundred, maybe fifty or so. Branch monastery sounds impressive. It could be just a few rattan huts and a couple of mechis and, you know. Uh, and a summon <laughs> it could be very modest indeed or it could be something quite large you know. uh, but uh, unusually you know, he started overseas uh, and the request came and Lumpur Charles meta and generosity said, okay sure keep the aim high why not you know good people in Britain, just like anywhere else. Uh, they don't know Buddhism, maybe, but they know a good thing when they see it. Monks are good, they'll get support. So, um, Ajahn Sumedho, Kema and Rudhamon And these are monks, so these are the kind of early disciples, I and mean, also you recognise really that the poor Sumedho was the, the first and really, he met Nabochan about 1966, I think, 65, '66. So it's really only towards the end of his life, and only a few Westerners actually spent more than two or three years with him. And that was uh, poorme and poor Kimerdamo and poor Pasana. Um, so not much but you didn't need to spend much time with him to get it. (laughs) You didn't need to spend much time because you you could get it and it was pretty simple. And uh, even more, uh, the case is that the, the Vajras practice and training standards became embedded in the monastery. So the monastery became the teacher in a way. or the situation the monastery generated. Mm. So this year they're not having a gathering because of Covid. For most years you'll go to Wat Pa Pong at this time and maybe Twenty thousand people, ten thousand people. It's difficult to count. But as you're coming through the gates, it's difficult to find an inch of earth that hasn't got a human body on it. <laughs> if it's not, a road, hopefully the roads are kept clear. But it's just bodies everywhere. Uh, and, but uh, the one of the that's pretty impressive, you know. It's only if you come in to be on the hard earth with a mosquito net, uh, to be there. But the other thing you notice is there's no signs, there's no police. Police are at the gate, you know, showing cars where to go. They're not inside the monastery, no. There's no ushers, there's nobody telling anybody what to do. Everybody just. Find somewhere, puts their mat down. They're like ten centimeters away from the next body. <laughs> there's no issues. There's no conflict. It's quiet, and you got like a football crowd size congregation. Quiet, with nobody organising them. Think it. This is. What's happening? You know, because they, you know, that quality that Lopo Porcha was uh, talking about, this inner dajjata withdrawn, that's what they're doing. Doesn't mean they're not aware of other people. By no means. You, you, know, you have to move around in a very you know, tight space. Uh, know where the lavatories are, where the dumber hall is, where you get food and water, They know, all these things, but there's no none of that drawn out, composed, collected and kindly and patient with each other. Uh, So it's incredibly inspiring. You see that uh, that quality that I could see in Lupocha, developed, or collected into, stays there, Uh, because of the the qualities of the monastery and the Sangha are tuned to cultivating these parami, it's, it's almost in the genes, you know, I'm sure everybody has their defilements and their, but basically the main trend is that the main theme is that, and and you can you can feel it. It quiets you, it steadies you, it composes you. You don't need to be told. You pick it up. And people cooperate and are courteous and quiet and humorous but it's uh, collected to such an extent that uh, many, 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 many more people have become disciples of Ajahn Chah since he died than when he was alive. More monasteries have been founded in his name since he passed away than when he was alive. As if, you know, the aggregates passed away but the Lumpur Chah chitta you know remains and I'm not talking about some kind of soul present but the intelligence the attitude the the cultivation uh, and and the uh, and the living it out remains steady practice smooth smoothing out places where you get ruffled smoothing it out Places where you get fed up, smoothing it out. The places where you get negligent and can't be bothered, smoothing it out. Places where you get irritated, snipey, smoothing it out. the Places where you get greedy and hanging on, smoothing it out. Smoothing it out, steadying it out. You know? You know. (laughs) And you know that just... uh, you know, all these assassins are very gifted at getting in. They keep trying to get in. And they present very convincing tickets to get in through your door, <laughs> yeah. And it's those tickets you've got to look at and say, really? Is that sure? Can't stand it? Can't stand it? Of course you can. Shouldn't be this way. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's not fair. <laughs> Got to have one of those. <laughs> it's not my turn. And <laughs> come in with these little kind of tickets that oh, I'll buy that. <laughs> and you goes into that and gets stirred up and agitated and wound up and yeah and then crash, you know. Oh dear, where did I go? Lost it, you know. Mm. So these are the places where we develop the resolution and the clarity and the discernment and the honesty. Let's be honest. Mm. Mm. This is where you overthrow these called the vipalasas or distortions, the dishonesties, the idea that things can be permanent and they can't. Tell the truth. Things will be satisfactory when they won't be. Mm -hmm. You can have things that go my way when they're not. If you don't hold that view, you don't get so upset. And and pushy and uncooperative. If you don't hold these views that... uh, things seem to be satisfactory and lasting and what I want and my way. If you don't hold those views, you don't get so upset. And you know, so it's, it's this truthfulness to understand the characteristics, the way experience manifests. And it's sound, it can sound kind of miserable, you know, the experience is changeable, non-graspable, Um, Shifting, there's no secure place to be found in it. Experience or manifestation is unsatisfying, incomplete, never finished, never resolved. Uh, Experience is never something I can get myself completed by, established in, made secure by. Sounds miserable. But the point is that these signs are the things that remind you to withdraw from those to stay in the center. Mm. They would not there, the idea is not to make you miserable, but to help you to withdraw from the views and the persuasions and these influxes that relentlessly pull the citta out into agitation and delusion and loneliness and despair. This is a you know, pretty earthy practice because we're practicing with life as it happens in this particular way. So it's life as it happens, but it's life as it happens within the boundaries of the parami. It's life that's held within virtue. Within sharing and generosity, it's life that comes in through those, through that that abiding place. When Lam Po made it not just uh, an exhortation, also made it look enjoyable. He could be very funny and uh, bright, and uh, kind of like a, like a creature of the jungle, kind of bright and and colourful. Mm. Mm. So we're commemorating something that's not just about another person, but it's also about some something that's beyond the person, that's available. And also commemorating with gratitude the time when you know in a Buddhist country a lot of Buddhism was lost as a transcendent experience. Buddhism in Thailand was primarily a cultural experience, not a transcendent one, not even aimed at transcending, not even aimed at nirvana. There's only the forest teachers who felt this has got to be possible, aim high, aim high. If you fail, it doesn't matter, just keep aiming high. And uh, and that, uh, you know, courage Faith self is inspiring. And he definitely felt it could be done outside of Thailand. There's also someone who whose interest was to keep learning and encourage others to keep learning. So although you had a pretty many ways a very strict and restrained situation in some respects there's also a lot of freedom to find out for yourself and the two go together mm-hmm. yeah we we rather enjoy the idea of uh, well for what for a while anyway finding out for yourself and being your own person and working it out but without some sort of Reference point is easy just to go completely off track. You know, just follow every notion that comes into your head. So, this uh, sense of find out for yourself is pretty strong in Ajahn and the forest teachers. They just, just go out to the jungle and find out how to do it, work it out and encouraged, so there's no particular meditation system, often pretty simple ones, like buddho. Primarily just giving that, that repeated reference point until mindfulness is established to the point of knowing, and then keeping, holding that knowingness through the waves of life. Uh, mm. And so, how you do that well, you know it's up, up to you how you get to that place of mindful knowing it's your choice what works for you and of which I was pretty uh, open to different ways of doing it, you know in Zen and People talked about Christianity. Said, so "Well, maybe they—they're right. Maybe if they can do it that way, that's their way of doing it." You know, it's—it's a human thing. So these two together, both a sense of a uh, lot of freedom, but a lot of so of restraint, obligation. You've got to turn up. Uh, can't goof off. Mm. Got to stay in in the in the template. Um, you know, there's alms round. There's chanting. There's the daily regime. There's lo- loyalty to the sangha. Sangha duties to be done. You know. um, some of them level of etiquette, going to pay respects. Some of them physical work. Uh, uh, chanting arms around and so forth and you keep that going as just the external reference points in which you keep meeting you know your views, opinions where you get stuck, where you get negligent smoothing it out, steady practice so in essence it's something that's that's quite portable and Pocha above all is practice his training style, his attitudes have uh, developed all over the planet actually. Brazil, uh, you know, Canada, Australia, and yeah. so on, Italy, Norway, all over the place. Yeah. Because one thing that, uh, which I used a lot was other people as practice. One of the distinctive qualities of his, his own uh, style was community. And most of the forest ajyans, you'd be on your own. And just get off on your own into your own hut or your own place, see each other minimally, Arms around in silence, maybe. That's it. Maybe a talk once a fortnight. Other time, go back to your Yeah, on the poor a lot of community practice, community work, community chanting. Some of the forest monasteries no chanting. I think long uh, no chanting. No meat for that. the child monastery chanting, morning chanting, evening chanting, sometimes long in Thai and English. Lay people coming in, joining in, unlike most forest monasteries. So very much community. And uh, using community both as a sense of this is where your metta uh, has to be built, your ability to cooperate, uh, sympathize, uh, be generous, be sharing, be patient with each other This is where it really meets the test. (laughs) And also, when it does occur, when it does gel, you you actually find yourself flowing within a human vehicle of a group. And a human being is one of the primary in any situation most evocative experiences occur presence of other human beings, for light, for positive or negative. Nothing else carries as much resonance as another human being. So this is definitely, you know, a very potent uh, experience. Uh, and many teachers you will know, just avoid them <laughs> too much. Too much, too complicated, too evocative, too stirring always getting chit-chat, arguing, fascination, no, use it. Use it, because it's it's. Uh, it has potency. And if you can turn it, if you can turn the human, the social experience into community, you have something that, that has that same potency, that same resonance, that same grip, if you like, but for the good. You know, you're held in the sense of we do this because we're this. We don't do that. You know, this is beneath us. We are the sangha. This is beneath us, and that extends out. As you can see, you go to Wat Pa Pong. extends right out to even the young boys, eight years old, are coming into the monastery, looking after the monks' poles, learning the chanting. You know, <laughs> living, training with respect. It extends, they feel they're part of the community. The old guys, the old women, you know, and the, you know the, the young kids, they're all in it. And the summonerers and everybody is in it and they're all picking up the same thing because they're getting it from the resonances of the human experience around them. Mm-hmm. They're getting it somatically. They don't need a lot of talking to it, they pick it up. And just to you know, get that. So you go to Wapapong Pong, you get you know thirty thousand people living together, conscientiously, carefully, gently, quietly, focused, diligent, sitting up all night. You know, sitting up all night, not till twelve until four, <laughs> and then going off to work. You know. Because the power of that is deep, and most everyone will get the, you know, on the personal. you get these places where you just feel, oh no, oh, I'm bored boring, dreary, can't oh, no, I've got enough of this, and fed up. Oh damn, when is this going to end? I've heard this before. I'm fed up with this anyway. There we go again. Oh, my back aches. And <laughs> stay with it. Actually, mind just withdraws. <laughs> you stay with it, it can. With training, it can do, you, you go to another level, you find, hey, there's some energy here. And stuff's going on, but I'm not bothered. I think there's a certain, you find that the jitter can withdraw from these uncomfortable experiences into something. You realise you're stronger than you think you are. You know, It's not a personal strength. It's the strength of the Dhamma. Yeah? And you're stronger and brighter than you, than you think you are. You're stronger and brighter than your person, personality is. And you see the validity of these practices. And Manifesting in terms of the thousands of people. Uh, amplified by it. So you pick up the same resonance. And this is such an important and powerful and unusual teaching. And really, optimistic teaching. Because right now we see in the in the world, as always, so much fragmentation. You know, if you go to any newspaper, you can be at least eighty percent. That news people will be about the horrors of other people, <laughs> the corruptions, the violence, the brutal rapist, the disgusting politician who's milked off five million, the. Da 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 da. You know, <laughs> it'll be about that. What a pain other people are. Yeah, you know. or just in helpless misery. You know, the starving and the dying and so forth. And you see something about. You know. You see in news, but you see the fragmentations, nations not helping each other. Uh, Nations set against nations, regions set against regions, northerners disliking southerners, southerners disliking northerners, easterners disliking westerners, people in the cities disliking the people in the country, people in the country disliking people in the city, liberals disliking conservatives, conservatives hating democrats. You know. So much fragmentation, on and on and on, right down to the family level, you know. Human beings are messed up species, really messed up species. You know, and you see something like this, and you, you know you see something like what happens at what Bob what happens in Ajin Char's monastery. What Ajin Char, you know, everybody starts to get a bit upset. say, remember Lumpur Char. Oh yeah, right. You know, pull yourself, straighten up. You know, this is about Lumpur Char, right. And you come back into line, and it can work. You can have so many thousands of people, nobody really in charge of it. What's in charge of it is discernment and clarity and respect, and people flow along happily and harmoniously. And all a situation like that, you know, have these food kitchens. People just bringing food. Everybody gets enough to eat. Free books. Everything given away. Because generosity is overwhelming. Yeah. And you see the beauty of the human being and the positive aspect of it, so necessary to, to remember that. And these are, in some ways, very ordinary people. Yeah. Very ordinary and yet touching into something that's uh, transcendent through practice and through practice that is sustained through everything. Practice that incorporates all your intention, your perceptions, your feelings, because this is, this is the ones you can turn from being experiences that make you miserable, petty, grumpy, pushy, <laughs> so forth, into experiences that make you grand and uh, noble. And for this we are truly grateful. Mm. So as the Buddha himself said, the best way to honour and revere the Tathagata is to practice the teaching. And I think that's exactly the way we should honour and respect Lampurchal anyone